invite you to take your Bibles. Let's open it to Ephesians 4. And uh, this afternoon is really a part two of this text. We've looked at uh, verses 25 to 29 on do not give in to the devil, as you will see, as even in our reading of this text. But today we're going to finish the rest of this text as well, with the finishing commandments as well. So let's just read together the word of the Lord. So Ephesians 4 from verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we come to you and we ask you for your grace. Oh Lord, we want to imitate you as beloved children. We want to look at how you have loved us, how you have forget, forgiven us of our sins, our countless multitude of sins, Lord. And we want our your love that is spilled and poured out into our hearts to spill over into our relationships with one another and our relationships with even unbelievers, Lord, in our, in our spouse, in our marriages, and in our families. So, Father, please give us your Holy Spirit and, and truly test our hearts, even as we sung tonight, Lord, test our attitudes, test our hearts, search us, O God, to see if there be any wicked way in us, and then point us to Christ the only solution for our guilt. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the practical section now of Ephesians. Remember chapters 1 to 3 is doctrine, our identity in Christ, who we are, what God has done for us. And then from chapters 4 to chapter 6, we are in the practical section. And I already find that very um, uh, enlightening, is that we don't just need sound doctrine. We don't just need good theology we need practical advice, how to live, how to walk. And that's really the key word of chapters 4 to chapter 6. Walk worthy, walk in love, walk as children of the light. It's now about our walk, and there are specific ways in which you walk worthy of God. And that's really the goal. And chapters 4, chapter 4 really is all about our relationships. Our relationships specifically with the church. That's the context. The context of chapter 4, if we just um, focus our attention on this chapter, it is about walking in unity. Remember, just look at verse 4 of chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit. So what is this all about? It's all about the church. But in the church, we need to learn not to give any room for the devil. And that's the surprise of this text. When we read this text, 
we find out that our relationships with one another has another person involved that you might not be thinking about. And that's verse 27. Notice, give no opportunity to the devil. You see, um, in our anger, in our bitterness, in our unforgiveness, in our refusal to be kind and tender-hearted, if we refuse those things, we, we, we give a home for the devil in our churches. Isn't that scary? Isn't that scary to think that the way we treat one another is going to either determine an open door for the devil or a, or a closed door for the devil? And what we want to do as a church, we want to be a holy bride and we want to, the Holy Spirit to feel at home amongst us. We don't want to grieve him. We want the devil to be grieved by our love. We want the devil to hate us for how we treat one another. And then chapters 5 will really shift into our relationship with the world and then even our relationships with family members as husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters. And so this whole section really is about relationships, right? But you might ask, why is the devil so interested okay, in our relationships in the church? Why is he so focused on us? And you can see that in chapter 3, verse 10. is one of the purposes of the church. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When the church is functioning as the church, when Jew and Gentile, people from different tribes and tongues, are coming together in unity, the devil sees that. The angels, the authorities, the principals look at that and they see the wisdom of God. So the church is really a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. Well, what will we find in the new heavens and the new earth? People from every tongue, people from every tribe bowing their knees before one risen king, the Lord Jesus, and worship him. And so church is a foretaste. Every Sunday is a foretaste of heaven itself. And now it makes sense because what if the devil can divide us, if the devil can cause us to be angry at each other, to not want to forgive one, one another, what, what are we losing? We're really losing the picture of the gospel. The world looks at that and says, okay, I don't want to be a Christian if these are how these believers are handling or dealing with one another. And of course, that's also why he hates marriages. Because again, what is the image of marriage? Marriage as well is a picture of Christ and the church. So if he can break the image of marriage, he has achieved the same goal. Children look at their parents, right? Even if they are in a church, but if their parents don't worship God, they often the, them, when they grow up as adults will not follow Christ because they will see the hypocrisy in this. Yeah, you pretend on Sunday, but I see your idolatry on a Monday. I see how daddy treats mommy, and that doesn't compel me to worship your Jesus. See, and that's what, that's what the devil wants to do. But thankfully, we have help, right? And that's why we're going to look at from verse 30. So remember the outline. We just looked at um, the four sins we should not do if we want to. So the first point we looked at last week is don't give in to the devil. Don't give in to the devil. But today we're looking at the second part from verse 30 is don't grieve God the Spirit. Don't grieve God the Spirit. Look at verse 30. That's from verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, before we just unpack this verse, I just want you to focus on the word grieve for a moment. This is one of those verses where we prove 
that the Holy Spirit is not just a force. He's not just an energy. He's not just something we have to try to un- try to manipulate so that we can control him the way we would like him to act. He's a person, right? Um, none of you have ever said, or if you have said this, come speak to me for counseling afterwards. Um, yeah, I've grieved my electricity today. I've really, you know, when I switched off that light, I could feel that groaning. <laughs> Right? But what do, what do we say? I've grieved my wife. I've grieved my, my husband. I've grieved my parents. I've grieved my children. Why do we say that? Because they're persons. Okay? You don't grieve things. You grieve a person. And that's the point. The Holy Spirit is not just a thing. He's not just a power. He's not just a force. He's a person. We have a relationship. He's the paraclete, the one that comes alongside of us and walks with us and dwells within us. So the Spirit is not somebody you can manipulate, okay? The Spirit is not somebody that if you just say the right words or press the right buttons and boom, you have unlimited power to heal anybody. You have unlimited power to move mountains, right? Just shoot the Spirit into this realm. No, He's a person. We, we can grieve Him. We see in Scripture that He has a will. The Holy Spirit speaks. He guides. He leads, right? He's a living person. And indeed, the third person of the Trinity the Spirit is God. That's important, okay? But now let's answer this question. How do you grieve the Spirit? So if it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, there's three uh, rules for interpretation. Good Bible study, you can write them down. Um, the first rule for good Bible study is context. The second good rule for Bible study is context. And the third good Bible study rule is context, okay? So if you just do those three rules, you should be fine. Now, the same thing here, when we want to say, what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? Don't look far. Don't go to Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, right? Just stay in Ephesians 4. Just read the verse above and read the verses below. What do we see? How do we grieve the Spirit? Verse 29, when it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. If our words are excessively negative, if our words are not building our brothers and sisters up, if we are not giving grace with our words, it grieves the Spirit. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. So how do we grieve the Spirit? We refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters. We slander our brothers and sisters behind their back. We hold on to our wrath and our malice. And we refuse to do verse 32 that says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You see, that's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't care how what that person says. I'm not going to forgive that person. Or, I've heard this so many times, right? I've forgiven that person, but I just never want to talk to that person again. <laughs> right? Well, we'll see now later in the sermon as well what true forgiveness is. But that's not forgiveness. That's grieving the Spirit. And it's also because of um, verses 1 to 3. Just read this again with me. It says, Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, A prisoner, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of what? The Spirit. What does the Spirit do with us? He makes us one. The Father chose us. The Son died for us. And the Spirit creates us. (laughs) 
That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes these dead bones when we hear the gospel and he breathes new life into us and he unites us to a body, to a church. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. This is really what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen to the verse. It says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What, what is this body? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Do you see the point there? What Spirit baptism is the day you were saved and you were incorporated into the universal church of Christ. And that's why water baptism should symbolize your unit, union with the visible church of Christ. When you are baptized in water, that's a symbol you belong to the church, right? That's your entry, that's your door into the, into the church as well, baptism. But that's the point. What does the Spirit do? He takes two enemies. He makes them one. He unites us. So how do we grieve the Spirit when we say, I'm not going to be one with that brother, with that sister? I refuse. Right? Um, that grieves the Spirit. I really believe that if you look at COVID and you look at you know, all the controversies regarding the government and is the government taking away our rights and should we close, should we open, there was these massive controversies. But I could just see one of the biggest threats in that time was giving an opportunity for the devil for our anger with one another, right? Our bitterness, our how could you do that? How could you be so stupid to do that? How could you? And we are fighting with one another and we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God, right? So we should be on our guard. We should be protecting our unity. We should not let the sun set on our anger. We should deal with our conflicts biblically. We should not, we should not grieve Spirit, And just to give an illustration of what this grieving might look like is where the same word has been used with human grieving. Is that, listen to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. This is in the context of believers grieving for those who have died. It says, Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have passed away. It's a euphemism, um, and it's a beautiful euphemism because sleep is temporary. And death for the believer is temporary. It's like that we will wake up with a resurrection, okay? It says that you may not, what? Grieve. It's the same word we see here. Now, think about grieving the death of a loved one. I don't know if any of you um, follow Tim Challies or, you know, he lost his son when he was 20 years old. And he wrote this, that's a man, if you want to know how to grieve God in a godly way, read his post, his blog post. It's incredible. And he wrote on his son's 21st birthday. So that's a year, it would have been his birthday. And he just wrote a happy birthday letter to his son. Yo, that, you, can't, you can almost not finish that, that article. But, but one thing he said there was, when he was grieving for his son, he said something like this. He said, you know, I'm happy for you, but I'm sad that I don't see you here. And he said that, and I'm sure that on this side of eternity, I will never be whole again. You, you just feel that grief, that pain, right, of a father losing his son. Now, I want you to think of grief in that way with the Holy Spirit. When we say, I'm not going to reconcile, I'm not going to talk to that Christian, that brother, I refuse, it's over. It's like stabbing a knife in the heart of God, the Spirit. And do you see what great motivation that is to, to, to truly obey these verses? Oh, Lord, I don't want to grieve you. I want to obey you. 
That's a beautiful motivation. But there's another motivation right in the text. It's not just don't grieve the Spirit, but look at the rest of the verse. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what that means, the Spirit seals us. The word sealed can mean three things, depending on its context. And in this context, it refers to sealing in a sense of security, meaning that if you are sealed, it means it's a done deal. It is going to happen. And you are sealed for what? For the day of redemption. And that refers to Romans 8.23, which talks of this day. Listen to Romans 8.23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what is the, the day of redemption? Is the redemption of our bodies. That's when Jesus is coming again. That's when our bodies will be transformed into His glorious body. There will be a resurrection of the dead. That's heaven when we are with the Lord. So what this verse says is the Spirit is the guarantee, is the seal that we will make it. We are not going to lose our faith. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And that's my only hope, right? That's my only hope that I'm going to make it tomorrow to keep on to my faith is that it's not dependent on me. Now you might say, how's that a motivation, right? That, how is this a motivation not to grieve the Spirit? It's simply this. Don't grieve the Spirit that is so good to you. He sealed you. Will you now take a knife and plunge it into his heart? That, that he is securing you, that you will never lose your salvation, that you will be saved tomorrow and the day after, and you will persevere until the end? Will you now refuse to forgive your brother and your sister in Christ? Will you now refuse to be kind? How could you? How dare you? Be so cruel to someone that's so good to you. Do you see the point there? So Paul is saying, listen, this is a motivation. Don't grieve the Spirit, for He is our seal. It doesn't make sense. But now let's look specifically at what this means. Let's look at verse 31. So notice in verse 31, there's a, there's a put off, and in this, verse 32 is a put on. Okay, so... Don't grieve the Spirit by stopping these things, in verse 31. And don't grieve the Spirit by doing, verse 32. That's the point, okay? So let's read it. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So just notice the word all. How much of our bitterness do we have to let go of? Hey Lord, can I just have 90, okay, I'll give you 95% of my bitterness, but just this one person, I promise, this is the only person, <laughs> um, but you can have 95, I, pr I promise, Lord, this is the last one, <laughs> okay, no, all bitterness, all malice, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, I want to say this applies to more than just church, right, this is not just for the church, this is, even if you count someone an unbeliever, if you count someone a non-Christian, let go of your bitterness, what is bitterness, right? Bitterness refers to our hearts. It's anger retained. It's when the sun set on our anger for too many days and it has transformed into bitterness. Think of a boiling kettle, right? It always starts small, little bubbles, little offenses, little angers, little disappointments. 
And it just sticks there and it just stays there. And you think about it and you think about it and you think about it. What happens to your heart? It becomes a boiling pot of bitterness, right? It's a deep-seated anger, really. And that's the internal sin, bitterness, which is expressed in the next, the next word is wrath. So the internal sin is bitterness, the heart, and what is the external behavior is wrath. So think of man's wrath, right? If you see a picture of people throwing cups against the, the walls, slamming doors, right? Um, very aggressive body language and things like that. That's, that's our wrath. Now, just remember, God is a God of wrath as well. What's the difference between God's wrath and our wrath? Our wrath is out of control. Our wrath is not just. But how's God, God's wrath, and this is what makes his wrath scary, is in control. It's settled anger, determined anger to destroy sin out of this world. And it is just. He's not going to give us one drop more wrath than what we deserve. So, so that's the difference. But let us let go of our unjust wrath. The next one, anger, which again goes to the heart. right? So bitterness and anger, those are the attitudes of our hearts, which leads to the next two. And clamor and slander. Clamor is loud. Someone, so think of things like raising your voice, right? Critical speech. That's clamor and slander. Let that be put away from you. Speaking behind someone's back, right? When someone speaks about somebody else, you just can't wait to tell everybody, I know that's what most people think of this person, but let me tell you, Right? You just can't wait to tell people the real story. You, you, you want to slander that person. You don't want people to think good of that person. It irritates you when people think that person is great. And that's really the next of it. It says, along with all malice. Malice means evil intent, malicious intent. It's really summarized by this. Malice is rejoicing in someone's calamity. And grieving at someone's prosperity. That's malice. When it's going well, you, you are sad about that. And when it's going horrible, secretly you feel a little touch of joy. You deserve that. Thank goodness you got what you, you deserved, right? And that's malice. And, and God says, listen, let go of that. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Put that away. Stop, stop that. Cleanse your heart, cleanse your, your words, cleanse your, your body language, cleanse the way you speak. And do, verse 32, the put on, this is the positive side, right? It says, be kind to one another. I like the word kind. You can also translate the word kind as easy. Be easy with one another. You know, when you say to someone, yeah, that, that person is such an easy person. Okay, what do we mean? That person is kind, Right? By the way, the same word is translated in when Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Jesus' yoke is kind to us. It's not harsh on us. It, right? It's not a, a cactus. It's 100% uh, it's cotton. It's smooth. It's soft. It's not hard. Okay. So someone that's difficult to get along with is not Christian. That's not Christian. We should be easy. We should be easy to get along with. We should be kind, okay? Put that on. Next word, tender-hearted. 
Literally, soft. Have a soft heart. You know, sometimes when you speak of certain people, you say, I just have a soft spot for that person. You know? What do you mean? It's like when that person comes, you're like extra friendly, extra loving. Okay, now this... There's not, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I have a soft spot for my wife. Okay, so don't judge me on that, okay? Like an extra soft spot for her. Right, so it's natural, it's good, but what, what, is this, what does this text say? This should, be the, the, this should be your heart with every person. You should be tender-hearted with everyone. Now, not, you shouldn't equally like everyone. That's impossible because it says bearing with one another, remember? Okay, bearing with one another doesn't mean you like everybody. But you do bear with them in love, okay? But even in your bearing, even in your patience, your heart is tender towards this person. Your heart cares more for this person than for your own comfort. Right? Tender-heartedness looked like this. Listen to Romans 12, verse 18. It says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Is there ever a time we can avenge ourselves? No, never, never, ever, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, ignore him. If he is thirsty, right, tell him he deserves it. Okay, no, you see what I'm, okay. I'm glad you're laughing because you're reading the Bible, okay. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap Burning calls on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. So the, the, point, the point is so clear, right? What is tender-heartedness is, okay, so do you see, what is the key to let go of your wrath, your vengeance, your bitterness, is to leave it to whom? Leave, leave it to the wrath of God. That sounds so bad counseling, right? Give your vengeance that God will take vengeance for you. But that's what it says. That's what this text says. And the point is this. Your vengeance is not just. Your vengeance is biased. Your vengeance is only focused on your little perspective. God's vengeance is perfect. God's vengeance is good. God's vengeance is holy. He sees the heart. He hears our thoughts on loudspeaker. He, everything is open to him. Can you not trust him to bring you justice with your enemies, the people that do unfairly treat you and hurt you and give you pain? Leave it to God. And then on the contrary, let that free you up so much that your heart is tender even towards your enemy when they are hungry. Don't ignore them. Feed them. But you see, the only purpose, you, the only way you could do that is if your heart is cleansed from all bitterness. You can't feed your enemies if you're bitter. You can't feed them if you are angry with them. That's why you have to first leave it. To the wrath of God. I want to read to you this quote from um, John Newton. John Newton was an excellent, excellent counselor and pastor. And he wrote this letter to a friend that wanted to write a letter to his enemies. And John Newton wanted to counsel him to keep the following in mind, to help his heart be tender, even with his writing towards his enemy. Listen to this quote. <clears throat> he says, as to your opponent, I wish that before you set pen to paper against him, and during the whole time you are preparing your answer, you may commend him by earnest prayer to the Lord's teaching and blessing. This practice will have a direct tendency to conciliate your heart to love and pity him, and such a disposition will have a good influence upon every page you write. If he is a believer, so imagine, he's now saying, imagine if he was a believer, 
in a little while. You will meet him in heaven. He will then be dearer to you than your nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now. So think, of, right, the, 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 this enemy of yours, if he's a believer, will be closer to you in heaven than your closest friend on earth. Keep that in mind. Anticipate that period in your thoughts. Okay, what if, what if he's an unbeliever? He says, if he is an unconverted person, he is more the proper object of your compassion than your anger. Alas, he knows not what he does. Isn't that so true? We're sometimes so surprised that unbelievers act like unbelievers. I can't believe that unbeliever who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who is dead in his sins and trespasses, that he's following after the passions of his heart, that he can be so cruel. What do you expect? <laughs> He's more the proper object of our compassion, our pity. You see how even in that, it's a tender heart that looks even to our enemies and feels pity for them, feels sorry for them, desires them to be freed from their own sin. So it doesn't matter, believer or unbeliever, we need a soft heart. And now, now, now comes the bomb. Okay, Look at verse 32, it says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God forgave you. Think about how did God forgive us. Okay, let's just list six things. How does God forgive us? First, infinitely, unlimitedly, uh, unlimitedly. I hope that's a word. <laughs> Listen to this, Matthew 18, 21. Peter came up to Jesus, thinking he's very holy, very, very kind and tender-hearted and gracious. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I'm getting tired of this forgiveness. As many as seven times. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be super gracious. Seven. Okay. I say to you, not seven times. And then Peter's like, yes, I knew it. Seventy-seven times. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Again, and the, and the point there, again, isn't that after the 400th and, you know, uh, okay, my maths, don't judge me on my maths as well, okay, a long time ago, but not to keep count. The point is, it's unlimited. Why? And what's the idea is, because that's exactly how much God forgives you. Where your sin increased, grace abounds all the more. That's really, God's grace covers all our sins. It's infinite grace. It's unlimited forgiveness. That's how you should forgive. Secondly, at infinite cost to himself. This is where we would never match God's holiness. Never. Right? It's, his forgiveness wasn't free. He paid with the blood of his son. Now, if I just think of my son, my son, to think of him, I'm giving him up for my enemies. It, it's not even a temptation for me. It's like, that's never going to happen. Right? Why? And that's why you should be thankful that I'm not God. <laughs> okay? None of you would be in heaven. <laughs> right? But that's exactly what God did. Why? Because his love is holy. It's other. It's not like our love. It's completely different than the way we think. Because he gave his son at infinite cost to himself to forgive unworthy sinners. So for us, what often is the cost of our forgiveness? It is the forgiveness. When we forgive, we say, I will pay with my pain. 
I will pay by being hurt. That's my, I'm going to, that's a cost. Even just forgiving someone is sacrificial. Embracing the pain. That's how we forgive, like God, at cost to ourselves. And then thirdly, it's a gracious forgiveness. It's a gracious forgiveness. And the verse we read um, at the start as well, Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Forgiveness is by definition not fair. I'm not going to treat you what you deserve. I'm going to forgive you instead. That's grace, right? It's not grace when we say, I'm going to treat you according to what you deserve. And so that's why this is, a, a, we need the Holy Spirit for this. We need God's power to be able to forgive like this. But let me balance this with the next point. The fourth point is that God's forgiveness is received through repentance. God's forgiveness is received through repentance. In other words, God doesn't forgive everybody blank. He doesn't just say, everybody's forgiven, nobody's going to hell, everybody's going to heaven, right? Because we have our Bibles. that tells us some people do not what? Repent or confess. What does 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. That's a condition for forgiveness. Now, again, now you have to think about it. We should forgive as God forgives, and therefore, I think it is proper that there's also a condition for our forgiveness, which is repentance. Now, let me clarify that because I think the popular view of forgiveness is whether the person repents or not, forgive. Okay? I do not think that's biblical. I don't think that's the biblical model for forgiveness. But always let all bitterness, so there's, there's, it's helpful to differentiate between forgiveness, which leads to reconciliation, and bitterness, which you are hoarding in your heart and you are wanting to unleash against that person. Now, the reason I say this is so important is because often when in the modern, in a modern idea of forgiveness, of just forgive without repentance, is often relational sins are never addressed, right? Often the discussions are never made because I forgave you, so I can't talk about it, but there's actually a very serious discussion that needs to be happening for the person to ask for forgiveness and until the person has confessed or repented, there's never going to be full reconciliation with that person. It's always going to be a broken relationship. You can always say, listen, I'm open for forgiveness. I'm open for reconciliation. But there needs to be repentance. There needs to be that. Now, I've done a whole sermon on that. If you'd like to listen to the whole thing in Matthew 18. But, I, but this is what the Bible teaches, I believe, that forgiveness is received through repentance. But our hearts are always free from all bitterness. And here's number five. It's a permanent forgiveness. It's a permanent forgiveness. So if the person is repentant, if the person asks for forgiveness, our forgiveness is permanent. What does that mean? Is that we don't bring up this person's sins over and over again in future conversations, right? Uh, Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know how often people forgive like this. I forgive you. And then in a week when it happens again. Remember last week? Remember? This is the fifth time. Okay. Or they say, I forgive you. 
but they always bring it up behind the person's back. So they're not bringing up in front of the person, but they are not forgiving the person permanently because they can't wait to slander the person and say, yeah, that person did it again. And that's not after forgiveness, right? And that's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness is a promise. And that's why think about, if you say, I forgive you, think about it. Don't just say it lightly. It's a promise. I, I promise I'm not going to bring it up in our conversations again. I'm not going to bring it up behind your back again. And I'm not going to constantly think about it in my mind again. And if it pops up in my mind, I'm going to say, but wait, I've promised. I've forgiven. It's over. What does 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love keeps no record of wrong. To illustrate this, there was a couple, I read about a couple that went for marriage counseling. And this, the, the wife came with a massive book and she slammed it on the pastor's desk and she said, Pastor, this book is the reason why we're coming for counseling. The pastor says, what's that book? Says, it's a record of everything my husband did wrong. And you know what's, what, was, what was crazy about that book? It was true. So this, was in, this isn't even over-exaggeration. She, it was a faithful, careful record of her husband's failure. And the wise counselor said, according to 1 Corinthians 13, Dear wife, listen, that's not just a record of your husband's failure, but also of your failure against him. Why? She wasn't loving him. Love keeps no record of wrong. When there's forgiveness, it, it erases the book. It burns the book. It, there's, nothing any, there's nothing that we have to talk about anymore. It's over. I love that portion of uh, my family discipline or when I discipline my son and I discipline him just to say that's worse to him. It's over. You, uh, Daddy and, and you are clean. We're clean. There's nothing left to do. I'm never going to bring this up again. I'm not holding this against you, my son. It's over. That's how God's forgiveness is, and that's how our forgiveness must be. And then lastly, it's a reconciling forgiveness. It's a reconciling forgiveness. And this really goes hand in hand with the repentance part, right? Because true forgiveness will always lead to a better relationship. Chapter 5, verse 1, just look at that again. It says, therefore be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. When God forgives us, we are adopted. We are in his family. We are welcome. And again, often, how do we, how do often we forgive, right? We say, I forgive you, but I don't want nothing more to do with you. I don't want a relationship with you. Now, I just want to say there's a difference between trusting someone. I think trust is something you build over years and time of faithfulness. There's a difference between trusting someone and being open for a relationship of future reconciliation, right? And saying, listen, I want to pursue a better relationship with, the, with you. A better friendship. I'm open for reconciliation because that's exactly how God forgives us. So, love it. Yes, is this is this normal? Is this something you can do? Not at all. This is impossible. This no, not one of us can do this. But if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We need Him. We need the Spirit. We need His controlling power, and we need to meditate on how much God forgave us. Let that be our, our meditation. Which let me, let me go to the third point. So don't give in to the devil. Don't grieve God the Spirit. But now, imitate 
God the Father. And we're going to move quicker. We're going to move quicker through these two points as well. Imitate God the Father. That's verse chapter five, verse one. It says, "Therefore, be imitators of God." As that's the second as, right? The first as was forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Now imitate God as beloved children. The first way we imitate God is by doing verse 32, by forgiving. So that's the first way we imitate. But let's just zoom into this word imitators. Now, if you have children, you'll know that they are master copycatters, okay? And the scary thing is you often find it out too late. You know, you sometimes drop a wrong word. You know, and all the words about God and love and grace out the door, and then they repeat that word and in Bible studies, and like suddenly, no, 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 don't, because <laughs> they're copying dad or mom. Um, and I also found this out as well. It's a good way to see, you know, what's really going on as well, because my son, um, he imitates us in the way even we call each other, my, me and my wife. So, so my name is Rian, and my wife's name is Liffy. Okay, so it's just interesting. You can immediately see who loves who in this marriage, okay? <laughs> Rian and Liffy, <laughs> okay? All right, but um, now my wife does love me. She does call me Liffy, but more in secret. <laughs> no, um, but uh, so the point here is, listen, children are imitators. We look at and we imitate. And that really is another focus we should, another point I want to make about the word imitator is that you only imitate something you focus on. Think of that, okay? You, the one you look at, the one you are hearing the most about, the one you are in company with. That's why even the proverb says, don't have friends, don't be friends with fools, for you will suffer harm, or don't give your, your friendship to an angry man, lest you learn his ways, because we're natural imitators. When you are with people that are angry, it's like a contagious thing, right? I, I know some of you have experienced this. You, you, you're not angry, and suddenly you're in a conversation with someone's angry, and you just walk away angry. Like, whoa, where did this anger come from now? And the same thing, but where is our focus? On God, our Father. And I believe 80% of our relationship problems will be, will be resolved if we just do this. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on the pain Focus on your Father. Lift your eyes to Him. Focus on Christ who forgave you. Focus on Him. Lift your eyes. Think about Him. Imitate Him. And I love this word. As what? Beloved. Children, what's the point there? We're loved. We are loved by God. Our Father doesn't tolerate us. He delights in us. He loves us. We're not imitating a God who is despising us and wants us out of his presence and irritated like us. Like maybe some of your fathers have been. But God is not like our earthly fathers. He loves us. And so as we focus on his love for us, as we focus on how he in Christ has forgiven us, what will be the natural result? It will spill over into your relationships. It will, you will start to forgive like God. You will start to love like God because you are imitating God. And that's really our, the strength of this. And let's close with the last one. So not only imitate God the Father, walk as God the Son. Walk as God the Son. Look at verse 2 in chapter 5. It says, walk in love as Christ, the third as, okay? So 
as God forgave you, as children, as Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Fragrant sacrifice, offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that so beautiful? Not only are we what beloved children of the Father, we are the loved ones of the Son. Walk in love as Christ loved us. How much did Christ love us? He died for us. He humbled himself. He became a man. He hung on a bloody cross. He took the wrath of his Father that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled back to God. And now we are to walk in this love. We are to be like the Son. And think of, I love this last phrase, the Son's sacrifice was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice pleasing to God. When Jesus died, when he saw how he gave up his life for, for his bride, it pleased him. It made God joyful to see his Son Right? And also on another side, the other side of the coin, it also pleased the Father to crush him for our sins. But what's the point? Walk like that. Walk in love as that. As we embrace being crushed. As we forgive others. What happens to our Father? It puts a smile on his face. Well done. I am pleased with you. Your love, your forgiveness, your kindness, your tender-heartedness is a pleasing aroma in the heart of God, in the eyes of God. And so let me just close with three basic applications, three basic applications for us. Um, number one, remember who is involved in your relationships. Remember who is involved in your relationships. The devil is involved. He hates your relationships. He hates your unity. He hates our church. He hates True churches, he hates marriages. He's involved. Don't forget that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not, your problem isn't people. Ultimately, it's the devil. Remember that. But remember the spirit is involved. Remember him. Remember not to grieve him. He wants us to be unified and forgiving and, and one body in one church. Remember your father that loved you, that adopted you. Remember the son that gave up his life for us. Remember who's involved in our relationships. And that will go a long way to help us walk in unity. Number two, we've mentioned it before, but focus on the triune God and let that spill over into your relationships. Don't focus on the pain. Don't focus on your feelings. Focus on God, the triune God, the Spirit, the Father, the Son. Meditate on how much He loves you. Meditate on how much it cost Him to forgave, to forgive you. And then let that spill over into your relationship, in your relationships. And lastly, perhaps your relationships are so broken because you don't know the love of God. You've never tasted that. If, if it says we should forgive as God forgave us, it implies that we have been forgiven. It implies that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And maybe for some of you, you're living in bitterness, you're living in anger, you're living in, in irreconciled for relationships because you've never tasted God's love. You've never seen that the Father really, really, really loves you by sacrificing His Son for you. So for you, just come to Him. 
come to the Father through the Son. He's welcomed you. His arms are open. His family is wide. If you repent, remember without repentance, there is no forgiveness. But if you repent, if you believe, if you come to the Son, if you receive Him and trust in Him, that He will forgive you of your sins, you are, will be welcomed in the family of God. And then, trusting in Him alone to help you walk even as He has loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that your word is, is truth and it penetrates our hearts and we often see our, our sin and our disobedience. But Lord, thank you that you also show us at the same time your great love. Lord, just thinking about your forgiveness, it overwhelms us to think that you have forgiven us infinitely at infinite cost to yourself, graciously, through our repentance and faith in you, permanently and with a reconciled relationship to you. Lord, we don't deserve any of that, nothing of that, and you gave it to us as a gift, as a free gift of your grace. So Lord, help us to give the same grace that we have received from you to others. Lord, you know if there might be any um, relationship in this church or maybe even in Heritage, Joburg, or in our family lives, Lord, where, or even at work, or where we have been sinning, where we have not been kind and tender-hearted and walking in love as Christ loved us. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for these things. Cleanse us. Free us from our bitterness. Free us from our anger. And Lord, help us to be like Christ, that pleasing aroma of sacrificial obedience. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this evening. We pray in Jesus' name.